You ever feel rejected because you didn't fit the picture that someone else thought you should fit? You ever feel like you have to hide who you really are in order to be accepted? Now, unfortunately, religion hasn't helped very much. In fact, religion is a, a driving force behind a lot of the rejection we see and experience in our world. But from the beginning, Jesus invited us to something so much better, a family so much bigger, a family not based on conformity, but on acceptance and inclusivity and love. And it's something we can all experience today. So let's talk about it together. We naturally accept people who are like us and reject people who are different. And that's been the way it is for the history of the world, right? Each village thought the other village was different and so they would attack and, and be scared of the stranger. And it, throughout history, it's been conform and be like us or you're out because you're different and you're bad and you're dangerous. And that's why the story of Jesus is and was so compelling and so unique. The idea that Every human is created in the image of God. Every human has value and worth. Everyone is loved and accepted by their perfect heavenly father, who a father who loves the entire world so much that he came and died for it. And Jesus created the church, actually, to be his messenger, to be his picture of that accepting, loving God. But something went off the tracks. See, the church often mirrors the divisions and prejudices we see in our world. And in the churches, it's become, you know, be like us, conform to be like us, and then you can fit in. We'll accept those who are like us. And we reject anyone who strays from the picture of what we think people should be, which might be why you've given up on religion, why you've given up on Christianity or someone you love has, because they just couldn't fit that picture. They couldn't fake it anymore because we're told either subtly or outright that to follow Jesus, we have to look a certain way and, and vote a certain way and maybe be at a certain economic level and be, you know, married with some kids and fit that perfect picture that some people think is perfect. And who gets to decide who's in and out? Well, the people in charge, the gatekeepers, right? The ones who have the power behind the scenes. And the message of the American church is clear. To belong with us, you need to conform and become like us. Sadly, this is nothing new. In fact, in the very first church, there is the same type of divisions. They lived in a world that was very divided by, by uh, religion and by race. You had the Jews and then the Gentiles. And in this church of Jews and Gentiles, they're trying to figure out how to follow a resurrected Jewish Messiah. And there were some Jews who were saying, hey, you know what? If you really want to follow Jesus, since he's our Messiah, then you need to convert to Judaism first, meaning you need to follow the, the food laws and all those things. And also, guys, you're going to need a little surgery called circumcision. So if you really want to follow Jesus, you, you really got to commit to it. And it's into this debate that the Holy Spirit inspires the Apostle Peter to dictate the story of Jesus to his friend Mark. And as we go through the story of Jesus, we discover something very surprising. Nothing is more inclusive than the kingdom of God. Now, last time we talked about how Jesus was accused of not being a good rabbi, not even being a good Jew, because he wouldn't follow the ceremonial hand-washing rituals that the religious leaders followed. And Jesus says, you know what, guys, that's dumb. Like, you made up those hand-washing rules. And you know what? Even the rules that you think are really, really important, like the food laws, 
those have served their purpose and they're done now. It doesn't, this is huge, by the way. He's saying it doesn't matter what goes into your body. It's what matters is your heart. It's not what comes in, it's what goes out that matters to God, which is pretty major stuff. In fact, Jesus kind of like challenged thousands of years of tradition and he's ticked off to their face some pretty powerful guys in their country. So he kind of decides to lay low and, and take a little trip. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. He didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. And now the region Jesus is in is mostly a Gentile region. And it's, I think it's really hard for us to really just grasp the animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles at that time. Like if you can wrap your mind around the animosity between the Jews and the Muslims in that area right now, it's it was pretty much the same. They uh, didn't associate with each other at all. They had to keep their distance. They, um, both sides called each other horrible names. Like the Jews would call the Gentiles like dirty mongrel dogs and the Gentiles had similar names for them. And now Jesus goes off to this area to kind of lay low, get away from the religious leaders and this epitome of uncleanness to the Jews comes to him. She's a woman, which in that time was, you know, lesser than. She's a Gentile, so she's already unclean. And her daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit. So like her entire house is unclean. Like that's three strikes of uncleanness. And she comes to Jesus and she begs him to, to heal her daughter. Now, no good rabbi or even Jew would like associate with this type of person. But somehow she knew something about Jesus, something other people hadn't even guessed at yet. Since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, First, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And we're like, whoa, Jesus, did Jesus say that? Now, if you think about it, like the, the disciples are there too. And they were, you know, raised Jewish with the prejudices of their parents. And they're probably thinking, finally, Jesus is taking a stand. Like he's saying, no, you guys are wrong. You are unclean. Yeah, Jesus, let this Gentile woman, this unclean person have it. And we read it, and we're like, oh my gosh, like this is offensive. Jesus like just said, I don't think I should heal you because you're a dog. Like that's horrible. We're shocked. It just seems so un unjesusy, right? Now, as we read the story further, the woman kind of argues back and, and we'll read it, and Jesus does end up healing her daughter. So like, what happened? Was Jesus like, I'm not healing that Gentile girl? And then she pushes back and is like, hey, no, but you know, you're a good guy. And she's like, oh yeah, no, you're right. Thanks for reminding me. Good thing I'm wearing my what would Jesus bracelet do. I guess I would heal her. So here's your miracle. Poof. Like, what is that about? First, we have to get at, like, what is this idea of, of feeding the children and, and throwing food to dogs all about? Well, the food isn't Jesus' power and isn't Jesus' healing. It's everything he is doing. It's, it's why he came. See, it's the, what the teaching and the healings are pointing to. Jesus didn't come just to heal. He came to inaugurate the kingdom of God on earth. To fulfill God's promise to his people thousands of years earlier that he would come and rescue them. He is the saving Messiah that the Jewish nation has been waiting for. And his first mission was to the Jews, God's first chosen people, to announce God, that God's promise 
has been fulfilled. Their real deliverance is here. Their king has arrived. And so Jesus is inviting them to repent and believe and, and, re- and join the kingdom of God. But in God's promise about him coming and, and restoring the kingdom, there's something else. See, this coming king would not only rescue Israel, but he would bring his kingdom to all the nations. He says, I will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. But wait, there's more. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world, so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And now Jesus has this idea in mind. He knows this stuff. And somehow this woman knows it too. And Jesus knows that. And since we're reading it and we read like Jesus, we just read the words of Jesus like, I can't feed the dogs. We can't really know his tone. But most likely, and in the context as we're reading it, most likely it seems like Jesus' response is really more of a, like a tongue-in-cheek snarkiness. Right? Like, yeah, he does offensively call her a dog, but the word he uses isn't the dirty mongrel street dog idea. The word he uses is more like the family puppy. And so I think with a a little grin and a twinkle, he challenges her. He's like, well, you know, yeah, I came for the Jews and you're a Gentile, so I can't really help you, right? But he knows, she knows something about him and he sees her strength. And he sees that she's a fighter that won't back down. And he knows that she is up to the task that he has for her. And so she has already pushed aside the prejudices she was raised with and in her culture and come to this Jewish rabbi and fallen at his feet. And he knows her need. He knows her desperation to heal her daughter. His heart is breaking with hers. He feels her fear. He feels her agony. He feels her helplessness. And he knows that she has tapped into the beautiful, magnificent mercy and love of God. And Jesus says, like, basically what he's saying is, you know, you know the history between us Jews and Gentiles. You know the names we call each other. Why do you want me, a Jewish rabbi, to help you? And it's like he's saying, come on, come on, you beautiful, strong daughter of God. You know this. Say the quiet part out loud. Let the world know who I truly am. Is it right for me to help you? She replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. And Jesus gives this unclean Gentile woman the room to declare for the world that yes, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but yes, it is right for the Jewish Messiah to help her. She says, you, yeah, obviously you came for the Jews first, but you are for the world. And even if the rest of us just get the crumbs of what you're bringing, it will be more than enough for what we need. It's exactly what the Apostle Paul explained in his masterpiece we call the letter to the Romans. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jews first and also the Gentile. Jesus is Israel's promised Messiah. And yeah, he came to the Jews first. And even though the Gentiles had to wait for a bit, they are not excluded from his kingdom. In fact, he won't just throw the scraps to the, to the puppies. No, he will transform them into full, accepted, and loved children with an equal spot at the same table as the original children. 
Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. Jesus is saying, yes, exactly. I knew you knew this. You get it. And because of your answer, and because you get it, the demon has left your daughter. And I love that has, because it makes me think, maybe he had already healed her before she even answered, right? Don't worry. The demon has left your daughter already. Like, he already did it for her. And this encounter, like this is huge. This encounter with this woman sets up the rest of the history of the Jesus movement. See, through Jesus, the children's food is now being shared with the entire world. Jesus's love is big enough to include everyone. Then to make it even more clear, Mark records another story for us. Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the 10 towns. And we stop there because Jesus has been here before. Maybe you remember back a little bit when Jesus went to the area of the 10 towns and they get off the boat and they're charged by this man possessed by an army of demons and Jesus heals them, right? And he's clean and in his right mind and, Jesus, and he wants to go with Jesus and Jesus says, don't come with me yet. I want you to go tell everyone what God has done for you, right? Well, the man obeyed and people had heard about Jesus. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that he could be so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then, spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Ew! Like, what is going on? Jesus is so weird, right? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's he's a little different. But when we actually look at this, it's not as, maybe not as strange as we first think. First, I love, I love that Jesus leads this man away from the crowd. Like it's such a personal scene so they can be alone. He's like, he's saying like, I'm not here so to use you to put on a show for the crowd. This is, you know, this is you and me right now. This is about, you know, the trust of your friends and their love for bringing you to me. So let's go away to the side. I see you. I see your pain, and I am going to do something about it. So, yes, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. But what about, like, the ear and the the spit on the tongue thing? Like, what is that? Well, think about it. The man couldn't hear. He couldn't speak properly. So how is Jesus going to communicate with him? What's he going to do? He's going to accommodate the man. There's no no, uh, sign language yet. And so he, he motions to the man, like, hey, your ears, they don't work. Do you want me to heal these? Yes? Okay, great. And then he spits on his fingers. And in, in that culture, there was this idea of a, uh, the spit was like a, almost a magical but symbolic thing for, for healing. And so he spits on his fingers and touches his tongue. You want me to heal this? Yes. Yes, you do. Okay, good. Let's, he's, basically, he's giving the guy a chance to express his trust in Jesus. And so Jesus motions to the man, this is what I'm going to do. Yes. Okay. And he says, be opened, and immediately the man is healed. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. And at first glance, this story, it's just it just kind of seems like a cool, but obviously bizarre healing story of Jesus, just kind of like a, a side note, but it's way more than that. See, it's, it's actually showing the inclusion of Jesus and the kingdom he brought. He performs this miracle again 
in a pretty heavily Gentile area. This man is probably a Gentile. Now, why is that a big deal? Because the healing of the unable to speak and the deaf is exactly what God promised would happen when the Messiah came. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. See, this healing is a sign that God's love is breaking into the world, and it's for everyone. Jesus sweeps away our divisions and prejudices like the trash that they are. In Jesus, the king of the Jews has become the savior of the world. And it's so like anything and anyone who had come before. It's so remarkable that the the disciples and the first church, like we said, could not comprehend it. And so God had to force these first Jesus followers to understand what this whole kingdom of God thing is really about. And we see it really in two stories in particular. After Jesus' resurrection and after the disciples received the Holy Spirit, which was a a sign that the kingdom of God had actually come, God tells the apostle Philip to to take a walk on the road between Jerusalem and Gaza. And as he's walking, a chariot comes by. And the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go up to that chariot. And so he goes up to the chariot and he hears someone reading Isaiah's prophecies about the Messiah. And so he he goes in and it's an Ethiopian eunuch who's a a government official in the government of Ethiopia. And he's a eunuch, meaning he was born male, but now he's been castrated. And in that culture, he was now considered neither male nor female. And Philip asks, like, do you understand what you're reading? Like, I know this could be, but do you understand what's going on? And the eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? See, this man, this eunuch, had had gone to Jerusalem, but he hadn't been allowed in the temple because, first of all, he's a Gentile, and second, eunuchs weren't allowed in the temple either. They were like a rejected class. And so he goes there trying to find the God of the Jews, and he's rejected. The same people who were supposed to be showing the world God's love rejected him. But it doesn't detour him. No, he spends who knows how much money. It's very expensive buys a handwritten scroll of at least the book of Isaiah, trying to find this God that he's, he's looking for. And God saw him, and God loved him, so much so that God sent Philip to tell him the good news about Jesus, that the Messiah has come, and his great love isn't just for the Jews, it's for all people. And so as, as the eunuchs understanding this, they, they ride in the chariot by some water. And the eunuch says one of the, I think, the most important questions ever asked. What is keeping me from being baptized? And Philip, like, this is mind-blowing for him. Like, a Gentile following Jesus and a eunuch, you know, a, a third gender, basically, wanting to be part of this kingdom. And the eunuch says, what will stop me? What keeps me from being baptized? And Philip knows the Holy Spirit has sent him there. And he's like, nothing. There is nothing that should keep you from being baptized into this family of Jesus. And so they baptize him. And the story says that then Philip is like immediately disappears. It's amazing. But there's a second story. See, a little while later, the apostle Peter is up on a roof praying and he kind of falls into this trance and he sees a sheet, large sheet come down from the sky. And in this sheet are all these different animals, like the unclean ones the Jews weren't supposed to eat. And he hears a voice saying, Peter, get up, get up, eat, or kill, and eat. 
And Peter's like, no, no, Lord, I, I'm, a, I'm Jewish. I don't, I don't eat pigs and, and all these nasty things that you said are unclean. And he hears the voice say, do not call unclean that which I have made clean. And it happens a few times. And as, as Peter's kind of coming out of this trance, there's a knock on the door down below. And it's messengers from a Roman army officer asking them to bring Peter back to him so he can hear the good news of Jesus. And when Peter gets there, this is what he says. Peter told them, You know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. That is huge and groundbreaking. And so Peter tells them about Jesus. And as he's telling them about who Jesus is, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles there. And they receive the same Holy Spirit that Peter received. Showing that the kingdom of God is fiercely and forcefully and compulsively inclusive. Jesus had to force his own disciples to, to open up this kingdom to everyone. Even those who it seemed was impossible be accepted into following this Jewish Messiah. So if God had to force the disciples to open it up and he wanted it open so much that he forced it to happen, who are we to say who is in and who is out? Who are we to allow any of our preconceived judgments and prejudices and preferences to keep us from fully embracing every person who is searching for the God of love and truth? Think about it. Who have we been excluding? Who do we believe is unclean? Who have we felt is, is too far outside of the reach of Jesus' forgiveness and love? When we are really living in the kingdom of God, the king's heart becomes our heart. It is his loving and inclusive heart that moves us to truly welcome and accept those who are different from us. So Jesus followers, if you are a Jesus follower, listen to me. Jesus followers need to stop worrying about who should be out. Who should be excluded? And we need to focus on who's invited. Because you know who's invited to the kingdom of God? Everyone. Everyone. When Jesus died for you, he died for them. When Jesus rose to life, giving new life to you, he gives the same life to them. So this is my challenge. It's, it's not just a friendly invitation. It is a challenge if you are listening or watching this. Name a person or a group who you think is ruining the world, right? Whatever the group is or the type of person or whatever. These are like the people that you're like, man, I, if they would just stop, things would be okay. You're disappointed because it seems like they're getting their way or, or they're winning. And, you know, every, they're challenging everything you hoped your life or your world or your country would be like. Everything you've worked for. And it could be represented, you know, by a, a faceless group. Or maybe it's represented by a celebrity or a politician, or a family member. So you have that person in mind? Good. What does our king tell us to do with these types of people? Pray for them. Do good to them. So the second part of this challenge is pray for them. Not pray that their minds will be changed and they'll, they'll see the light and, and believe and think the way you do. No, pray that God will show you their real needs. Pray for his empathy and his compassion to change your heart towards them, that it will grab your heart for them. Pray that they will see God's love for them. Pray that he will bring healing and health to their bodies and their relationships and their hearts, that, he will, that they will see how loved and adored they are by their heavenly creator. 
And if you don't know where to start, Google the Lord's Prayer and pray that for them. You are their Father. Let them see your kingdom come in their lives. Give them their daily bread, things like that. And secret, psst, it's also for you. It's for you to let go of your anger and your hate because you can't really hate anyone if you are actually praying for them. So imagine what would happen if we stopped trying to figure out who was out and we spent our time letting people know they can be in, no matter who they are, whatever they've done, wherever they've come from. What if instead of trying to win, we focused on trying to love? If we did that, who this small group that watches this and listens to us, we could make a difference, a real difference. We could show an alternative to the division that we've seen throughout our world for years. See, there is a king who came for all of us to unite us. He invites every single person, whoever you are, wherever you're from, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, whatever you think you know, he invites all of us to come and bring our unique God-given personalities and cultures and stories and to experience his kingdom now and forever because no one is left out of the story of Jesus. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. And we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello. Uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.